Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Southern Fried Podcast. I'm Rex Nelson, Senior Editor of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and we welcome back retired Justice Robert Brown of the Arkansas Supreme Court. Judge, I had so much fun a couple of weeks ago discussing your new book, All Rise, how race, religion, and politics shaped my career on the Arkansas Supreme Court. I mean, if you love Arkansas history, you'll love this book. But back in 2010, the University of Arkansas Press released your book, Defining Moments, Historic Decisions by Arkansas Governors. So I wanted to get you back. Now, 30 minutes is going to go fast again. I'm looking here, and we got 10 governors, so that only leaves us three minutes for governor, basically. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah. but I, I, I wanted to discuss that again because you and I both uh, – both enjoy Arkansas political history, and uh, I think those of us, uh, uh, hopefully those that are listening, uh, also do. But you started with Sig McMath, and you went through Mike Huckabee, 10 governors, nine of whom you knew personally, but during your years in Arkansas. Go back real quickly. How did this book come together? Why, why is this a book you wanted to do? Well, I kicked around Arkansas politics, as you know so well. We both have. Right. And we like it. But um, I had worked for Dale Bumpers, uh, both in, in Arkansas and in Washington. I would worked for Jim Guy Tucker when he was prosecuting attorney, and I was his staff director in Washington. Uh, I knew Sid McMath and respected him. I knew his two boys. Mm-hmm. And it all was kind of very easy for me to kind of cobble this together because, as you say, I knew personally nine of the, the men, and they were all men, of course. Yes. That's soon to change. Right. And uh, I just uh, I respected what Arkansas had had in the way of its leadership. You know, it's very, very impressive. Now, we had some duds. I personally think that Orville Faubus led us down the, the wrong road and, of course, sacrificed mm-hmm. my senior year in high school. Very much so. And Lord knows what he did to race relations. We all live that, and we're still bearing some of the brunt of it. But uh, aside from that, I think our governors, for the most part, have been highly capable men. And I, you mentioned Sid McMath uh, last time I think I was on the program, but I'll say it again. I think Winthrop Rockefeller was our greatest uh, governor in the sense that he had a vision for the state. Mm-hmm. And it was up to the remaining governors like uh, Pryor and Clinton and, and Tucker and uh, whatnot to implement that vision, uh, which they, bumpers, of course, which they did very capably. But Sid McMath. You know, coming back from uh, World War Two, yeah, the GI Revolution, as it was known. I mean, the he his hometown of Hot Springs, of course. Uh, in those days, as you know, Garland County reeked of corruption. <laughs> That's and, right. No uh, question about and it. And that was the guy that went in and began to clean it up. He actually. began to clean it up, and he had to take on the mayor McLaughlin, who's Leo McLaughlin. Yeah. And uh, he did it very, uh, very appropriately. Of course, this is a man who wasn't afraid. I mean, he had come back from the Solomon Islands with a silver star. Yeah, so absolutely fearless. Fearless. And uh, he had Hollywood looks. And he came in, by gosh, and he said, I I know Harry Truman is anathema here, much of Arkansas, but he's right. 
you know, and I served with a lot of African Americans, and I have a lot of tenderness in my heart for their plight, and I'm going to support what Harry Truman has set forth in his, uh, I think it was his address in maybe 1946-47, where he mm-hmm. laid out the his his plank about doing away with uh, Jim Crow laws and, and actual uh, segregation laws in the uh, motels and restaurants and whatnot. And McMath took that on as a cause celebra. And yeah. I, I really applaud him. And I've told his sons that. Uh, he has three sons who are still here, very accomplished lawyers and leaders in their own right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, four very interesting years of the McMath governorship, and, and we may come back to that. But then along comes the one-term Francis Cherry, judge from Jonesboro in, in northeast Arkansas. And I I, I give kind of an overview to groups like Leadership Arkansas and Arkansas History. And uh, what I usually do here is I, I point out that in those days we had a history in Arkansas of electing a man, and as you said, it was always a man, a man to the governor's office. And generally what we would do is we would say, okay, he did okay, we're going to give him a second two-year term, and then they wouldn't run for a third-year term. They'd go away, and basically you get four years as governor. But we were so desperate by 54. We had been losing population faster than any other state in the country. Arkansas lost population faster than any other state between 1940 and 1960. A lot of Arkansans don't realize that. As you well know, we went from seven seats in the U.S. House of Representatives down to four. So I think people were kind of desperate and said, we've got to try something different. So they elected this populist from the hills, Orville Falbus. But back to Cherry again. He didn't get that second term. He had a mere two years as governor. Well, he really didn't relate well to the the folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was more a champion of Arkansas Power and Light, where uh, people like McMath and Falvis champion rural electrification. Exactly. Let's take the electricity out to the rural parts of the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the problems with uh, Francis Cherry, he had been a chancery judge up in Jonesboro. Right. He looked like an elitist, for better yeah, <laughs> or yeah. for worse. And uh, an argument could be made that he was an elitist. And he talked about these, he didn't use deadbeats, but these people on the mm-hmm. welfare, welfare role, roles, yeah. that sort of thing. Well, that didn't sit well. And here this man comes down from the Hills, and I dare say that uh, I'm including Clinton and Tucker and Breyer and the others in this, Dale Bumpers, that he's the probably the best politician we've I, had in the state. I, I was I was going to say Orville Falbus, and and we'll get to 57, but Orville Falbus in 54, when he was elected, a populist. Some said he was socialist. His dad was very openly socialist, named him Orville Eugene Falbus after Eugene Debs that headed the American Socialist Party, sent him to Commonwealth College near Mena Socialist School. So, but Orville Falbus was a populist, uh, you know, things like uh, – paving state highways, most of which were gravel then, getting free school books, which we hadn't heard, which was unheard of in the, in those times, uh, things such as that. Um, and in my mind, he was also so good on the stump. He was to Arkansas in those mid-50s 
kind of what Huey P. Long had been to Louisiana in the 30s. Do you, do you agree with that? I that agree appeal? completely. I agree. He, he tested the winds. And mm-hmm. I think Jim Johnston, you know, the avid segregationist, yeah. uh, made this point about Faubus. He kind of tested the winds and went along and then claimed leadership after he determined which way the wind was blowing. But I, I don't think there's any question about that. I think Orville Faubus originally was a McMath yeah. clone. clone mm-hmm. Got to start that way. As you say, his dad was very much a socialist slash commonwealth. And the truth of the matter is a lot of Arkansas was. Absolutely. And, a very uh, popular state at that point. No, a poor no, popular state. Yeah. No, no question about it. So... Like some of the politicians, I'm not going to name names, but Faubus tapped into that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people liked him and liked what he had to say. And he saw what Jim Johnson had done up in Hoxie. This is after his first term and right. whatnot. Right. And he decided to get on the, the bandwagon of, of segregation, if you will. Yeah. The, the way I put it in my little talk is I say, all right, so – after only giving Cherry one term, we went back to form. We gave Orville his second term. <laughs> but then he basically said, you know, this governor's gig's pretty good. <laughs> you know, I like having a cook. I like having a governor's mansion to live in. I like state troopers driving me around. It beats the heck out of being a small-town newspaper editor, which he had been in Huntsville. <laughs> and I've been a small-town newspaper editor. It is hard work, believe me. And so I think I'll run for a third term, being the first since Jeff Davis in the early 1900s to get a third term but then like you said he had to make that cynical political calculation and that was to be elected to a third term the only way he could be elected to a third term was to block a plan by the little rock school board to allow nine black children into little rock central in the fall of 1957 and i don't think anybody could have seen that that is the place where President Eisenhower and the federal government would say, all right, the South's been ignoring Brown versus Board of Education since it was passed in, or since the Supreme Court ruled in 54. This is where we're going to make our stand in Little Rock, and they do, and it becomes the biggest news story in the world in the fall of 1957. No, no question. I mean, I, I've forgotten which president said it. It may have been Andrew Jackson. But, okay, the Supreme Court has ruled. Now let's see how they enforce it. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so nobody dreamed that Eisenhower would send in federal troops, no. and it had never been done. The 101st Airborne Division, I mean, a lot of these were grizzled veterans of War too, who no had question. stayed in. I mean, and, and I guess it's fair to say, Judge, for the first time since Reconstruction, you had armed federal troops walking the streets of a southern city. No, no question. The- and uh, it was just uh, – and we, we were, in a, in a sense, reoccupied. Mm-hmm. Little Rock was. And the calculation was made by Eisenhower and his, uh, his uh, I guess, director of the Board of Education and whatnot, that this had to be done. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Supreme Court decisions would mean nothing. Right. You had to send a message to the whole and, South, particularly. And uh, Faubus had blocked it. And he said, we're not going to allow this. We're the supreme law of the land. We're going to go in with the troops, with the 101st Airborne Division, and we're going to make the point that uh, we will enforce Supreme Court decisions, Brown v. Board of Education, which they did. And it was just a chaotic 
time in Little Rock. Of course, I was over at Hall High School mm-hmm. uh, playing football, and I just uh, was a goose in a new world to some extent. Yeah. But I may have told you two weeks ago about my experience with the Quakers in Little Rock and how Melba Patillo was part of the group mm. that that met with us, and we prayed a lot about what was happening in Little Rock. But someone in the group said to Melba, um, aren't you a bit intimidated by the white students at Central High School? Don't you feel a bit inferior? Well, that was not the thing to say to Melba. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she exactly. Got, she got up on her hind legs and she said, my gosh, I don't feel inferior to anybody. Mm-hmm. And I took note. I mean, yeah. she, was, uh, she was a strong person. And that's what the Little Rock Nine had to be. They had to be strong to put up with that daily aggravation that they suffered. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I mean, there were a couple of students who reached out to the Little Rock Nine, but my sense is that not many, mm-hmm. not many. And, of course, if you re- reached out to Little Rock Nine, you might become a, a pariah yourself. So. Yeah, a- absolutely. So Phobos, again, had started as a populist, uh, what we would consider now kind of on the left of the political spectrum, but purely political, he ends up being the best-known segregationist in the country after 57. Uh, I remember a conversation I had with the late Roy Reed, who wrote the definitive biography of, of Orville Falbus, great New York Times journalist, native Arkansan. But Roy told me, and you may have had the same conversation with him, but he told me once, he said, you know, writing that book almost killed me. He said, because... The more I researched, the less I felt I understood Faubus. He was so full of contradictions. Oh, boy. And he said, writing that book almost killed me because I came in and the easy contradiction, well, he's the bad guy, but Faubus really was a complex character, wasn't he? He was indeed, and I, I read the Roy Reed book, and it yeah. was an excellent oh, book it. on Faubus. And he points out the good things that Faubus did. Mm-hmm. I think the one that leaps to mind is that he saved the Buffalo River. Oh, absolutely. And uh, there were, as I say initially, he was a populist. He was a Sid McMath clone. Yeah. but He, he was, was paving roads and getting school books out and, there, and, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. and bringing blacks initially mm-hmm. into government. But he was an opportunist, and Harry Ashmore, the Pulitzer Prize winner of the Arkansas Gazette, pointed this out. And he had supported Faubus mm-hmm. initially and written some of his speeches. But he said, this man is an opportunist. And as you pointed out, he wanted to be governor in his third term, his fourth term. His and it ended term. up being six, <laughs> which leads me to somebody we've already mentioned who I told you two weeks ago was my favorite character in 20th century Arkansas, and that's Winthrop Rockefeller. Comes here to get away from his problems in Manhattan in 1953. Faubus very wisely in his first term in 55 passes a bill that creates something called the Arkansas Industrial Development Commission, still around as AEDC, Arkansas Economic Development Commission, but makes Rockefeller his chairman to try to replace these thousands and thousands of farm jobs we had lost through the mechanization of agriculture. And Rockefeller has some real success at that, uh, bringing in cut-and-sew operations, shoe factories, so forth, uh, into rural Arkansas. But falls out with Faubus over, over 57. By 64, 
Rockefeller runs himself, loses to Fulbus, but got enough of the vote that Fulbus decides that six terms is enough, and the Democrats nominate the aforementioned Jim Johnson that you well, talked that, about. That's, in that's right. You talk about a complex character. Yeah. I mean, that's Winthrop Rockefeller and contradictions. Mm-hmm. I mean, a war hero, uh, a sign of one of the wealthiest families in the world. Uh, the fact that he wanted to make his own name was not a student, and there are certain uh, observations that close friends have made about why he was not a student. Um, he didn't make it at Yale. He was more comfortable as a roustabout. Oh, absolutely, in, in the, the oil, oil fields, fields of western Texas, yeah. So he decided, I'm, I'm comfortable with my Army buddies from World War II. I'm going to come back, the Frank Newells of the world. I'm going to come back and associate with them. I'm going to marry uh, Jeanette Idris from uh, Seattle and buy, you know, acreage up on Pettyjean Mountain and raise Santa Gertrude's cattle. Yeah. And try to amend the image of the state of Arkansas that uh, a lot of people have, have perpetrated. Um, who's the guy, the populist who wrote about Arkansas? Minken. Oh, yeah, H.L. Minken. H.L. Minken. The Baltimore Minkin. Sun, yeah. I mean, gosh, the, uh, the image of Arkansas. Oh, just the most backward gone. of people. And I mean, he wanted to resuscitate, revive yeah. that. And his name went a long way to doing that. A- absolutely. Bobus knew that. And they had a good partnership for a while. Early on. And then Jim Johnson, you know, was the, what would you call him, kind of the Satan in the background. He was, he was the, the segregationist rabble rouser, yeah. And he had shown what he could do at Hoxie and how mm-hmm. the Brown decisions were political fodder. And Rockefeller, again, uh, decided, I'm going to save the state. And you talk about the loss of population. That was a lot of the blacks, the the great migration. Absolutely. Go, going north. Apt to find work and get away from segregation Absolutely. at the same time. And I think uh, the blacks that were left in the Delta and whatnot, Rockefeller decided, I'm just going to sign them up as voters. They embraced him. And they embraced it. And that was just a, a monumental task to go Republican uh, after they had been Democrats. But, of course, Lincoln was a Republican. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just kind of the full circle. But Rockefeller did an amazing job and then, as we both know, got into office and had a terrific platform of what he wanted to do for the state. The first thing was getting the revenue, and that's raising the income tax. Right, but could get very little of it through a Democratic dominated legislature and as we talked about just a little bit two weeks ago so the democrats nominate jim johnson they lose for the first time since reconstruction we have a republican governor right they still hadn't really gotten the message so in 68 they nominate another old guard member marion crank from foreman down in southwest arkansas they lose again and so Faubus thinks, all right, I'm going to ride in on my white horse in 1970 and be governor again. But Democratic primary voters, I guess after two losses, Judge, had come of age, and they they end up nominating this guy named Dale Bumpers, Dale Bumpers. who had 1% <laughs> name recognition when he entered the race. He'd held one office, and that's the school board in Charleston, Arkansas. And he lost an office. He lost yeah. his first uh, right. race for the General Assembly. But you're exactly right. Dale Bumpers comes in on his white horse. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. 
and uh, he had to lose Walker mm-hmm. out of Memphis. Out of Memphis, and he said, "Dale, you have Hollywood looks. You've got those cheekbones, part of the Cherokee heritage, I think, uh-huh. and you look excellent on television." You can spin a yarn like nobody, and that comes from your father, Will, on the uh, porch of your general store in Charleston. And you're just political. Mm -hmm. You're just going to be a success. And he instilled that in Dale, and Dale went out and did the telephone interviews, uh, the radio interviews, uh, saw as many people as he could, and he just wowed them. And after that, Rockefeller, you know, was kind of dead in the water. I mean, yeah. just, just no uh And, no and my understanding, uh, and I was young, but uh, having be- becoming friends later on with people like John Ward, who ran the Rockefeller campaign, Rockefeller was already becoming ill by then. Of course, he would die of cancer just a few years younger. His heart really wasn't in the race. And that's not to take anything away from Dale Bumpers, who I think is one of the greatest politicians in American history, not just Arkansas history. But Rockefeller's heart really wasn't in a third term by that point. I think his age kind of pushed him into I, the, I running a race he really didn't want to run. And he was kind of the old man in the race. Yeah, and he was tired. Like an old man. He had done an, an amazingly brilliant thing in getting on the state capitol steps after the assassination of in Martin 68, Luther King yeah. in 68, and everybody thought, well, that would be his death knell in politics with Marion Crank mm-hmm. because he had taken a stand in favor of Martin Luther King. Well, it wasn't. You know, he won that race. He, mm-hmm. Not by much, but he won it. You're right. And then Dale came along, and um, it was a new day in politics. Yeah. But, Rockefeller, to his credit, had set out the roadmap for the future of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. He had dealt with an increased taxes, free kindergartens, free textbooks, a reorganization of state government to make it more efficient, all of that. That that was Rockefeller's vision. He just couldn't get it passed. Yeah, a- absolutely. And Adele Bumpers could. That's right. And, and we reformed state government. We uh, did away with a lot of these departments that we didn't need at that point. Really just brilliant. And, and then he uh, takes the leap to take on Bill Fulbright for the Senate in 74, which opens the door then to David Pryor. David Pryor, of course, had forced John L. McClellan two years earlier in 72 into a runoff, had lost that runoff to Senator McClellan, but still had a statewide organization. And, Judge, I, I know they both friends of yours, and, and I became close, frankly, probably too close as a reporter, but covering – Senator Dale Bumpers and Senator David Pryor, when I was in Washington for the Arkansas Democrat in the 80s, but have great admiration, but two great political figures, but kind of styles 180% opposite. Uh, uh, Dale Bumpers, the great orator, uh, give great speech. David Pryor, the old shucks kind of common guy, you know, let's let's sit down and eat an old bowl of ice cream together and work this out, you know, uh, the Pryor style. Uh, they were good friends, well, but, but their styles were very different, yeah. weren't they, politically? Huh? Yeah, I'll tell you something about Dale and David. Uh, initially, you know, Dale had his likes and his dislikes. Oh, yeah. And he worked with David Pryor, but they were not close. Not close. Until... 
You know, Betty Bumpers was very much involved in getting Russian r- women together, and they're having kind of an accommodation. Oh, yeah. Communists and capitalists yep. and yep. that then sort of— Yeah, then the Peace Links group started Peace and all Links, that. that. Yeah. That was it. And somebody was lambasting. Maybe it was uh, the senator from uh, South Carolina was lambasting lamb- uh, <laughs> Peace Links. And David Pryor, unbeknownst to David— uh, today, Dale. rather, went over to the Senate floor and made a speech in favor of peace links. Wow. And after that, David Pryor could do no wrong. Oh, yeah. Understandably. Yeah, they became that very just, close friends. And yeah. that was a bold, bold move on his part. Yeah. But again, very different styles. No uh, question. But David Pryor, in fact, Senator Bumpers, when I covered them both, he used to kid me. He said, do y'all have a button you punch at the paper that every time you write David Pryor, it automatically says the most popular politician in Arkansas? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. He liked to gig me about that, you know, that famous Bumpers ego, but he, he would he would gig me. But but David Pryor, again, his own style, but in his own way, not the, not the groundbreaking stuff that Bumpers did, but I thought a very successful four years. I'll tell you something about David Pryor. He educated me in politics because I always thought going to Washington and getting on the Ways and Means Committee and passing bills and being very effective was the road to the next step, Mm -hmm. successful politician. I found out when David Pryor ran against Jim Guy Tucker, Jim Guy Tucker, who is very effective, was very effective as governor, uh, that likability right. is really the key. This to, was the 78 Senate race you're talking about. That's exactly yeah. right. And if you're liked and if you, you know, do the homespun things mm-hmm. with your fellow statespeople, you're going to get reelected. Oh, absolutely. And handily. And Jim Guy and David got into a uh, runoff, but it really didn't change, you know, because David got the same – I mean, it was one-third, one-third, one-third when Ray Thornton was in that race. There were three people in that race, and David Pryor and Jim Guy were in the runoff. But uh, David Pryor won it fairly handily, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, it's because of his likability. I have always used the term, this is a first-name state, and uh, what I mean by that is you wanted to go up to somebody and have them call you David rather than Governor Pryor, and you get in a much larger state like a California or an Ohio, and they would say, well, that's disrespectful. Not. And I said, no, in Arkansas, you want to be on that first-name basis in a small state like Arkansas. And he was David to everybody, not Governor Pryor. That's right. He started being the quarterback down in Camden. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be back with more of the Southern Fried Podcast, but first, this break. Hi, Rex Nelson here. Thanks for listening so far. A lot of the topics we cover here on the Southern Fried Podcast and many more can be found on the pages of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. If you'd like to support this great newspaper's commitment to bringing you the latest in Arkansas news, sports, and entertainment, consider subscribing to the Democrat Gazette today. With your subscription, you'll get a digital edition of the newspaper every morning, along with the latest news and updates delivered to you on an iPad, provided at no extra cost. For just $34 a month, you'll get the same award-winning journalism you've come to expect from the Democrat Gazette, including my three weekly columns, plus exclusive photo galleries, 
videos, articles, and digital extras all in the palm of your hand. To sign up today, call 1-800-482-1121 or visit us online at arkansasonline.com forward slash subscribe. Welcome back to the Southern Fried Podcast, a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. All right, so 78 prior wins that Senate race you're talking about, and it long comes. And I think we have to break Clinton up. We'll work Frank White in the middle because I think there were there have been a lot of Bill Clintons in my mind through the years, another complex character. This was the first Bill Clinton who was different than the second governor, Bill Clinton. No question about that. Uh, the first governor, Bill Clinton, youngest governor in the country, he only gets that one term like Francis Cherry did. That's uh, right. Much to his surprise, but learn the hard way. Perception is reality uh, in in politics. It was somebody who had to try to do too much. Uh, uh, John Robert Starr, uh, you know, uh, I think branded him as the bearded young man. Uh, my friend Steve Smith and the other aides <laughs> around him, you know, became John Danner. You remember that group? Oh, the, sure. the bearded yeah. young men, he called, Starr yeah. would call them. But uh, again, that perception, wife wouldn't take his last name. And the perception... I, for lack of a better term, this Clinton character is a little too big for his britches, right? Well, I think that's right. And they didn't look or act like Arkansans. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hillary had those big glasses and went by Hillary Rodham, long hair. Uh, Bill, long hair. Mm-hmm. Had these, uh, well, Steve Smith was not, but some of these outliers from the North come down and be, exactly. part, be part of his uh, administration. And they were arrogant. Mm-hmm. And they were arrogant towards the state police. You're not. You don't survive right. if, you're, if you're arrogant towards toward the, legislators who will bring you down very quickly. And the yeah. legislators. I mean, that's a little bit like uh, Tom McRae had been mm-hmm. inadvertently in the bumpers years. But um, no, and that was the problem. And Bill was just raw meat to somebody like uh, Frank White who had a common touch, who had been in the military, who had a, a great second wife, Gay White, and they just went out and they just um, blistered him. And it was uh, it was very surprising to me, to tell you the truth. I, I think it surprised everybody. I was, uh, d- back in those days, I remember do- I was doing radio coverage on AM 1240 KVRC in Arkadelphia on the night of that election in 1980. And, of course, everybody was just shocked. I think Frank White, if you look at the old clips, was shocked himself, you know, that he actually won. Uh, it was almost like the movie The Candidates, you know, what do we do now? That's right. That, that's what <laughs> gave White I mean, she get out. She said, "I'd, I'd smile, kind of Vaseline on her teeth, and uh-huh. didn't have to say much. Just smile and let let Frank make the speech." Yeah, and and then of course Clinton transforms. Yes, he uh, did. He he. he uh, now they're the superficial things I can point to. One of my favorites people like to talk about still is uh, joining the uh, joining the choir at Emmanuel Baptist Church. So he's right <laughs> behind W. O. Vault on television every Sunday morning. That was uh, that wasn't there. so super. That was well-designed, and it worked. Yeah, yeah, you see it him there at the Baptist Church in the choir. But again, basically, although uh, he technically was practicing law, 
basically the campaign never stopped, right? No, he was it, still running all two years that Frank White was governor. I, I'm thinking Betsy Wright was with the Wright firm. She was there Betsy with Betsy came into Arkansas from Texas, yeah, right, to start yeah, planning his reelection yeah, in 82. That's exactly right. And they were part of Or coming back into office in 82. At, at the Wright law not firm. Not technically reelected. And, uh, of course, Frank stepped in it with uh, creation science. Mm-hmm. And it was an issue that I don't think he really knew how to handle it. Mm-hmm. And I think it just kind of swallowed him up in a sense. A more adroit politician might have been able to ride that wave, but he wasn't. And, of course, when you start teaching Genesis uh, in the public schools, even though you're giving equal time to evolution, it becomes uh, a question of the First Amendment. Is this the establishment of religion, which the First Amendment disallows? So, anyway, that's what he bumped into. Yeah, and then, of course— uh, Bill Clinton comes back into office after beating White. He comes back into office of January of 93. He's governor for the next 10 years. He becomes the first president from Arkansas. We're sitting here looking at the historic November morning of November 4th, 1992 newspaper with the Clinton wins headline. A great day. Uh, on it, but... Uh, that Bill Clinton again. I said there were several Clintons. Was a was a very different Bill Clinton than the one of well, that first term, right? Well, one Judge? of the first meetings he had after he was reelected, after he defeated Frank White, was with Hillary and Betsy Wright, and they sat down in his office, and he said, "We need an issue," mm-hmm. and the issue they decided on was education, and you know he he made the famous. Uh, statement. I think he'd read the book, A Nation at Risk, about how education throughout the United States was plummeting. And Clinton said, well, if it's plummeting throughout the United States, we're on life support here in Arkansas. (laughs) So he commissioned, the first thing that happened, the Supreme Court, here again, the Arkansas Mm -hmm. Supreme Court, I think Steele Hayes wrote the opinion, Mm. but it was to the effect that we have to provide equal money per pupil in all school districts. And that was great, but that didn't solve the issue. The question was, what were we going to do with that issue? So Clinton said, we're going to raise the sales tax one cent more for education. I'm going to unleash Hillary to go out in the 75 counties and find out what's lacking. Right. And she comes back and she makes the report to the General Assembly. And the number one thing, or at least the thing that got everybody's attention in the General Assembly, was teacher testing. Our teachers don't know how to read or write or do basic math, or at Mm -hmm. least a lot of them don't. Mm -hmm. And we need to test them to make sure that they're competent in the classroom. Well, I mean, that's national news. Right. I mean, taking on the Arkansas Education Association, Association, the American Education Association, I mean, this was big time. And Clinton, to his credit, I mean, here's a guy who, if anything, is probably more liberal, more pro-union, certainly in his past. But he forsook that and decided education is what I need to file my uh, – make my legacy on. And Hillary came, came back, as I say, said, we need teacher testing. We need special classes for the gifted. We need to have free textbooks, you know, some of the things that Rockefeller had said. And she just uh, underscored that. And she said, this is what is keeping Arkansas behind. We need to give this 
platform to our students and make sure that they're not only getting an equal education, but an adequate education. Mm -hmm. And she was at the forefront. I think after that, Lloyd George, who was a uh, famous legislator. From County, absolutely. Lloyd Reed, George. After he heard uh, Hillary speak, he said, you know, I think we elected the wrong Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, a very different Clinton. Of course, he goes on to be president. He resigns in late 1992, a man you had worked with very closely. Jim Guy Tucker moves up automatically into the governor's office and then elected to a full four-year term. And, and they're, they're of course, American history and Arkansas history is filled with ironies. And I, I have always thought one of the great ones is that, you know, Clinton and Tucker, and you can get into this a little more, rising stars at the same time, and they they really were never that close. No, they weren't. So for Tucker to get caught up in an investigation that was meant for Bill Clinton, the Whitewater investigation, of course, with things that had nothing to do with being in office. They were business deals before he was in office. And I have to resign before the end of that full four-year term will always, in my mind, be one of the great ironies in Arkansas history. No question. Here you have two Ivy League yeah, both graduates, Ivy bona fide, uh, stars in their own right, very different. I mean, I, I'm sure Tucker had some kind of list in his own mind, but nothing like the list that uh, Clinton started, probably backing, uh, great, mm-hmm. you know, Elementary school yeah, yeah. <laughs> is Rolodex. Yeah, in, in kindergarten at Hope with Mac McClarty when they were in kindergarten. That's yeah. right, but he was planning. And, yeah. uh, and as you say, they both were uh, stars, but they butted heads. Mm-hmm. And again, Clinton had more of the hands-on, the David Pryor, uh, I love you, brother, you know, that sort of thing. And Tucker was more all business. He was probably one of the best governors we ever had because he would mm-hmm. tell people what to do. Yeah, He would yeah. tell them, by gosh, you do this, and if you don't, come back and report to me. And Clinton was more— The political animal, uh, yeah, uh, trying to right. make everybody happy, yeah. And Tucker, Tucker and Bill Bowen locked uh, horns because Bill Bowen, when Clinton was running for president, kind of was his surrogate in mm-hmm. the governor's office, and Jim Guy was lieutenant governor. But anyway, you're right. They locked horns. And then Clinton leaves, becomes president, and leaves the new governor, Jim Guy Tucker, with a horrendous, bankrupt Medicaid program mm-hmm. because of all the unwed mothers who had come under Medicaid. So Tucker has to scramble and find a solution to that, which he did by taxing a lot of different things like more cigarette tax but also syrup for soft drinks which was uh, (laughs) very controversial exactly but then as you say there was the kenneth star investigation and tucker was caught up in that and there was a long trial that uh, he was uh, i think john haley wasn't charged he was the attorney but Tucker was charged with somehow uh, defrauding banks and whatnot on loans, and maybe even the government. I've forgotten exactly what the charge was. But it was a six-day trial, and it just went on forever. And after the trial, uh, Tucker was found guilty, and he had said, I'm going to resign Sign. right if uh, 
if I'm found guilty, and then he decided not to. And you were probably involved. Uh, my first day of working in the governor's <laughs> office. I, I could write a whole book on that one day. I bet actually. you can. And I, I might someday. Yeah. I bet you can. But uh, Tucker said, well, there was somebody on the jury, and right. you know that, that kind of corrupted the, the verdict. The jury verdict, yeah. And uh, he said, I'm not going to resign. And then I think Bynum Gibson was the intermediary, and he said, Jim, you, you pretty much have to do The way that I now. describe it, we had about a five-hour Brooks-Baxter war on there that you day. Go. You had yeah. two people claiming the office of governor at the same time. Yep. A real constitutional crisis, but luckily one that only lasted about five hours. Yeah, yeah, and that was good. But it just, uh, I think really ruined Jim Guy in a sense, uh, certainly his mm-hmm. peace of mind and whatnot. But, but he did and apologized and, absolutely. and went on. And then you had Mike Huckabee. And then Mike Huckabee comes in, and again, I know a, a lot of my, uh, t- to use the old Tommy Robinson term, a lot of my limousine liberal friends uh, <laughs> in Little Rock expecting the worst. You know, oh, my God, here's this Baptist preacher going to be fundamentalist. But Mike Huckabee ends up being governor 10 and a half years, third, only behind Faubus and Clinton. As far as continuous, second, only behind Faubus, uh, 10 and a half years as governor, and really governs as a, as a pragmatist and a moderate for most of that time. Uh, uh, no question. And he did some really good things. I start with Lakeview. Mm-hmm. You know, education, uh, I say this because I was so involved in Lakeview that I didn't think that Huckabee in his state of the state address was going to stand up and embrace Lakeview the way he did. He not only embraced it, he went further than the exactly. Supreme Court. And, you know, we need better curriculum. We need a more healthy complement of students in the school district, uh, 1,500 or whatever. And he just was amazing in that regard. And, of course, he had Ray Simon, who Mm -hmm. was his education director. Wonderful education director. And Ray Simon said there's one thing that Mike Huckabee likes, and that's children. Mm -hmm. He has a place, a special place in his heart for children. But Mike Huckabee went on and kind of embraced uh, consolidation, which the Supreme Court had not mandated. He did that. He went on and did great things with roads. I mean, he got it. We were probably mortgaged up to the hilt, but at least he started the roads program for Arkansas. We always need better roads. We all yeah. know that. But uh, he did He did some great things. And I think one of the greatest things he did, and this is selfish, but what he did to the governor's mansion in the Oh, yeah, the building great the Great Hall, hall where we can now hall. have events there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Janet gets a lot of the credit for that, I can assure you, <laughs> as, as one who was there. I, I knew we were going to run out of time very quickly. Uh, so we are about out of time. But, I, you know, after this book came out, um, we had – Eight years of Mike Beebe, a Democrat. Then we went back Republican with eight years of Asa Hutchinson. And again, for 16 years, the two of them governed in that same moderate, pragmatic style. And uh, I, I believe we've been, and we'll see where this new administration goes, but I believe we've been very blessed in Arkansas in going back to Rockefeller in 67 of having a run of pretty pragmatic, moderate governors in this state. I would say the the best thing that Mike Beebe did, and he used this term, 
He said, we need to walk with swagger in Arkansas. We need to be proud of this state and show it with our swagger. Yeah. And, and he lived that. Yeah. I mean, he was on national committees. He chaired one of the governor's conferences and that sort of thing. Yeah. And he lived that. And Asa Hutchinson has done much the same thing in a different style. Yeah. I mean, he but is still, a, a yeah. moderate. I mean, what he did recently, you know, his statement recently about oh, yeah. we can't have any Semites and, and racists in and at as, as we tape, <laughs> tape this, it looks like he's going to run for president and be the be one of the moderate choices well, in the GOP. Yeah. Well, that's right. And people are From talking. Arkansas. And that almost goes back to the Rockefeller legacy yeah, there. Yeah. And he was uh, adroit enough. And it felt, I'm sure he felt it in his heart of hearts mm-hmm. that he had to make some statements along this line, and he's done it. Yeah, and he had a forum on Sunday morning television. Asa did, which uh, they like him. Yeah, <laughs> you know? the Sunday morning television shows they yeah, like him exactly. So, uh, Judge, I'm not going to make you uh, do a third straight show, but we got to get together again and discuss some <laughs> more of this. So time has run quickly. We've gone over time, but thank you for listening to us, well, and thank you for doing this well, again. thank you, Rex. It's uh, enjoyable to me. We just need to have Nick ask some questions. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Next time. Thanks for listening to the Southern Fried Podcast, a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette.